0: Welcome to the CD Howe Institute podcast. I'm Michael Hainsworth. The Ford administration's first budget surprised many in Ontario who were predicting a Mike Harris-style slash and burn approach to fiscal conservatism, particularly when it came to the debt levels that exceed forty percent on a debt to GDP basis and represents the largest sub sovereign debt in the G seven. Make no mistake, the province's debt has risen under every government in Ontario since 1989. Even under the so-called common-sense revolution, Harris inflated the debt from $90.7 billion in 1995 to more than $132 billion by the end of 2003. The Ontario Conservatives say they'll balance the budget, but not until a year after they're re-elected. And two years after most private sector economists predict the province's biggest foreign trading partner will slide into recession, so after his luncheon at the C.D. Howe, my first question to the President of the Treasury Board Secretariat, the Honorable Peter Bethlenfalvy, was why not cut deep in year one of your mandate so that come re-election time, the pain is just a memory
1: in the minds of voters? Well, I think a couple of things. First off, I think this is a very uh, reasonable path to balance, one that is uh, attainable and it's credible, and it's, it squares with our commitment through the campaign. So uh, we said that we would uh, restore trust and accountability. This is a big part of doing that. We said that we would put uh, money back in the people's pockets. So we're, we're doing that. We said that we would help out with the hydro costs. We're doing that. So it's, kind of, it's doing the types of things that we said we would do. We didn't really say, oh, we got, we got to balance it in a particular time frame. We said, let's try to figure out what, how we can deliver for the people who will, uh, of the province stick to our campaign commitments and uh, and do it in a reasonable, pragmatic way.
0: But the typical political blueprint is to, you know, the first year you've been elected, that's where the real pain comes. You know, Mike Harris, for example, did that sort of thing, so that by the time it came to re-election time, there was an opportunity to put a few goodies in there to help encourage people to vote one way or, or another or so. You run the risk of going to the polls just after a recession. Wouldn't now be
1: the time to do the deep cuts? I think we're doing uh, what uh, the people asked us to do, and we're doing it in a way that protects what matters most. So we're we're protecting those uh, core services and healthcare and education. Uh, we're investing in a, a lot of capital programs. Where the transit is a great example. You know, we're not going to wait. Uh, We're going to do things now, and I think we're doing it in a way that's very responsible.
0: The budget, though, boosts the debt from $343 billion to about $360 billion. So your GDP ratio, as you pointed out today at the luncheon, is north of 40% for the next two years. Um, That's higher than Quebec, and Quebec went from 50% ratio and then within three years found themselves with a $2.5 billion uh, surplus. Why not just take a page from the Philippe Couillard playbook?
1: Well, because this is the Ontario playbook. And this is the Doug Ford playbook. And we think we're doing it in a very uh, pragmatic way, that one that kind of protects frontline services and programs. Um, we said we wouldn't do it on the backs of the, the hardworking frontline workers. Uh, and we're doing it in a way that takes a bit of time and ferreting out inefficiencies in government. And I'm responsible for a lot of that. And there's no short, I won't have any shortage of work for the next 10 years.
0: No pressure.
1: Uh, so, so we're going to deliver on that. But I think it's uh, it's it's one that uh, w- it was important for us to provide relief to families. Um, so we've announced $26 billion of relief. We could have balanced it or if we didn't uh, keep our commitments to putting more money in people's pockets and providing that relief. But we thought that the hardworking people of Ontario should get some relief.
0: You pointed out that external shocks could derail your
1: plan. What's an external shock? Well, I think... Uh, any an economic recession would be something I think we've been very fortunate um, to have uh, almost ten years of successive expansion in the economy can't take that for granted now, i don 't know if uh, that's around the corner or that could be in another ten years so what we uh, but I think it is important that the government have the ability to uh, cushion shocks down the road um, and so that's uh, that's why that uh, we're taking the action we are to to turn the ship of of debt around and start the path not only to balance, but start to generate some surpluses.
0: The general consensus, though, seems to be that, yes, we are getting a recession, uh, at least the Americans will, by maybe 2020, 2021 or so. Why not start, you know, saving for that inevitable rainy day, considering so much of Ontario's economy is tied to the fortunes of the United States?
1: Well, I, I'm not going to put... Uh, much talk in uh, predictions on on recessions. I've been in the capital markets for 30 years and the predictive power of uh, all of us uh, is not very great. I think that we have to stick to the fundamentals and the fundamentals are are making sure that we provide um, those services that people uh, really need and we want to protect them. Uh, At the same time, continue to find those uh, savings and those efficiencies within expenditures um, and, you know, there was an absence of that. The Auditor General raised numerous flags about the m- amount of waste and mismanagement that was occurring in the, the government's books. So um, who knows what's around the corner, but I, I know what we're going to do. And, and that's what we said we were going to do. And that is to work every day to uh, to find those those savings through efficiencies, through modernization, through technology, but not on the backs of the people. Where does that technology come
0: from? You know, there was a period where it was required that the province of Ontario buy blackberries long after the BlackBerry was the go-to smartphone device. Uh, Are we going to tie ourselves to Ontario or Canadian-centric technologies to make those efficiencies possible? Or are you looking further afield as well?
1: Well, we're just looking, I think we're pragmatic and we have a lot to do. Uh, We just got elected, it's been nine months, we just launched our first budget. Um, But it behooves us to look at, uh, have an open mind, change the culture, uh, look at procurement, we talked about procurement, Uh, digitization, digital first strategy. Um, It's little things like that, but they're big things. Uh, Right now, Service Ontario processes 70% of its transactions face to face. We'd like to see that Uh, obviously happen more online. And frankly, it's a lot cheaper to do it online. And frankly, it's a lot better experience for those receiving the services. So um, in every area, we're going to take a hard look and a fresh look at uh, how government is spending money and saying, is there a way we can do this better, smarter, and embrace various technologies?
0: The province got, not too long ago, its first uh, digital officer. Um, Is that a role that you see as being critical to driving these efficiencies and bringing the province into the 21st century?
1: 100%. It's a key, key role. We have a great digital officer. She's leading the charge, uh, and it runs through all of government. I mean, I mentioned in the remarks the, the, the little thing like the sunshine list, which was really documents galore in the past, the first time we did it completely digitally. This new visual identity is a digital-friendly logo that now can be incorporated in annual reports, which will all be online, no paper, uh, but it will allow for a lot more efficiency and savings because of, of marketing We don't have to spend millions of dollars like the previous government did mark spending money on advertising marketing for brands that had was confusing to citizens whether that was part of uh, the ontario government or not so things like the little things it's not just the big things like procurement which we said a billion dollars it's it's like the little things too they all add up
0: let's talk about one of those big things that, that you sort of touched on and that's mr ford's toronto subway expansion leagues bigger than any previous plan plays a big role, though, in, in boosting the debt as well. Why throw a ton of capital at a project like that? It, it even doesn't even take into consideration the ballooning operating costs. We've been focused so much on, on the capital costs. But when you upload a project like that and you expand it to that degree, your recurring costs are going to go through the roof.
1: Well, I think the number one thing is to get going. Um, people, have, There's gridlock uh, everywhere. Uh, we've underinvested uh, the previous government underinvested in public trans- transportation. We've got to do a lot more. Um, this is a, this is the premier's vision for for Toronto and the GTA. Uh, and, and it really is all throughout Ontario. get people moving, get people um, home faster, get them uh, to their loved ones, get goods to market. Um, we are a major major province, uh, obviously 14 million people. and we've underinvested. Uh, It's the right thing for governments to do. Capital is um, something that uh, the province can fund way more effectively than, for example, the City of Toronto. Also, this vision is beyond the limits of the City of Toronto goes into the regions. Um, That's something the province can do. And don't forget, we get to amortize this over a very long period of time. And the capital that we've announced is just, uh, you know, it's over a very long period of time. So the numbers sound big. But the number one objective is get people going and get shovels into the ground. What well, will you pay for at all? Well, they, we, our our portion is 11.2 billion, I believe, out of the 28.5 that was announced. I'm very, um, I'm sure the federal government will do its fair share. That they've said they would, and and similar with municipalities, because they this is about one citizen, not three. It's not a federal c- citizen. It's not a provincial. It's not a municipal. It's one person who needs to get from A to B, or a good that needs to get from A to B. So we have shared interests. So I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that the funding will be there.
0: At the municipal level for the City of Toronto, anyway, pulling back on the gas tax uh, c- cuts a huge opportunity out of their wallet to help pay for this.
1: Well, these are all discussions that are ongoing with the Ministry of Transportation, and uh, the, the terms of reference have been outlined. They've, they've had significant amount of dialogue, and and I think you saw the Mayor of Toronto say that uh, this is important for the city, so so those discussions will be Will be um, had over the next uh, little while.
0: So you're a former ratings agency guy. Four years at DBRS. Uh, Moody's downgraded Ontario's credit rating with the lowest level in 16 years uh, last December, in part because of that debt to GDP ratio we started talking about. Uh, this budget doesn't move the needle at all for them on the rating.
1: Well, I think, uh, as I said in the speech, you know, uh, the Titanic by comparison is a dinghy. Moving, moving government um, is a is a hard work, and it takes it takes time. And so even with what we've announced today and the modernization and the relief that we're providing families um, will take some time. So so turning that, uh, that big ship of state, if you will, um, we want to do it in a way that's sustainable. It's not just a short-term fix, that we really are focused on a long-term fix. And I think this is the type of thing, having worked at a rating agency, is the type of thing that they look for. What we can't get around is that the previous government really did uh, turbocharge the amount of debt onto the balance sheet and uh, on behalf of taxpayers, and and that money has to be repaid.
0: Critics would argue that that was also an accounting change, so we moved the goalposts as well.
1: Well, I don't know who those critics are, because that critic wasn't the Auditor General of Ontario who's responsible for looking at the books. That wasn't the Financial Accountability Officer who holds our uh, financial performance feet to the fire. That wasn't the Independent Financial Commission of Inquiry. Three very respected, independent uh, people from the public sector, Premier Gab- uh, Gordon Campbell, uh, Mike Horgan, former Deputy Minister of Finance in Ottawa, and Al Rosen, a forensic accountant. They all said that those weren't the real numbers and the real deficit was much bigger. And uh, I think the most egregious part of that was the fair hydro accounting, which um, really, I think, is universally uh, condemned as a as, uh, not-appropriate accounting
0: so when do you think DBR, uh Moody's rather uh, adjusts that rating?
1: You'll have to ask them, and, and that's the area of the Minister of Finance Vic Fideli, who's done an outstanding job in uh, tabling this budget uh, last Thursday. He's really driven um, the vision for the province, and uh, I've worked very closely with him over the, ever since we got elected. And uh, but he's responsible for that file, so he, he could give you more information on that.
0: Minister of is also predicting a boost of revenues by three percent per year, and that's led primarily by personal income taxes, uh, a growth in employee compensation sort of thing. Uh, why wasn't a $200 a year tax increase on make those over $130,000 even a consideration?
1: We were very clear in the campaign and the premier was very clear in the campaign that we weren't going to increase taxes. But that, that, that's
0: sort of the the, 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 the wealthier end of, of the province that could could have afforded a $200 hit.
1: We said very clearly that we were not going to increase taxes. That's what we campaigned on. That's what we were elected on. Uh, we got a majority. And so uh, I know it's troubling to some that we're actually doing what we said we would do, but that's how democracy works. And that's how this government works.
0: Well, then let's flip it the other way around. If the province is open for business, why didn't you cut the corporate tax rate from 115 down to 105 That was promised in the election campaign.
1: Yeah, and uh, that was a commitment, and so we went and talked to uh, corporations in in Ontario, and they said, because of the change in uh, the capital cost appreciation south of the border, they said, we'd rather you uh, change the capital cost allocation method to match. In fact, we've exceeded what was done in the U.S., that that was a more preferable way to go, because that would accelerate their investments in machinery and manufacturing and innovation and research in this province so we could get a quicker boost to the economy, and it was more uh, more of a favorable way to do it. So we've done more than a 1% tax cut through that, I think will be $3.8 billion over six years.
0: Which is about $600 million or so on a per year basis. Uh, is that enough of an injection to help get us over the hump in the event we have a recession?
1: Well, I think it goes a long way, and in fact, um, we expect more, rather than a straight line of $600 million, we expect... Um, corporations, because that will be heard, to do more front-loading of that, that this will spur investment, which is exactly what we need in this province. We need good quality jobs. We need sustainable jobs. And we need to let not just Ontarians know, but the rest of the world know that Ontario is a great place to invest and a great place to hire uh, the workers of Ontario.
0: So the the one percentage points cut in the corporate tax rate – Ontario's got the lowest per capita spending uh, of all the provinces, lowest per capita revenue uh, of all the provinces. Does that tie the government's hands as to just how much cutting can be done?
1: Well, I think you raise a good point. Uh, the revenue side, um, that, that, that tells us there isn't much appetite for increased uh, taxes um, within, uh, within uh, the province. And the spending side, uh, I would argue with 14 million people, we have a broader base. We should have the lowest uh, spending per capita. Uh, in the province. But the evidence of the outcome is based on the deficit, $15 billion that we inherited, and the increase of about $200 billion of debt by the previous Liberal government. Um, that's the proof of the unsustainability of the spending per capita within this province. And I would ask uh, your listeners to say, what did you get for that increase, $200 billion? Did you get a health care system that's working? Because we've inherited a health care system where emergency room hallways or chock-a-block of uh, people who need uh, hospital beds? Um, did we get the uh, fixing of the hospital, uh, the long-term care beds that we need in this province where there's a wait list of 32,000? We've committed to build 15,000 right away within the first five years, but we're going to keep going. Um, did you get uh, did you get the transit that you thought you were going to get for that $200 billion?
0: You mentioned a tsunami that, that's coming. Um and elderly uh, Ontarians are going to require some some tough choices. Uh, spending on health care will rise 1.6% a year over the next three years. Um, how does that address that
1: tsunami? Well, if you look at some of the investments that we're making, $17 billion over the next uh, 10 years in capital grants for building new hospitals and repairs. You look at the $1.7 billion of investment over the next five years for those long-term care beds, the 15000 that I talked about. Uh, if you look at uh, for new hospital beds, we're making an investment, 374 million for new hospital beds, and another one that I'm particularly uh, passionate about is the um, the investment in mental health, addiction, and housing. Um, we have, of course announced in our platform 1.9 billion. Sorry, yeah, 1.9 billion to be matched by the federal government with 1.9 billion for 3.8 billion, and we're going to be spending. Um, in the first leg of that, $174 million, I believe, uh, to start the investment in housing and uh, mental health and addiction. So we're making significant investments. Um, but why, you would say, is it only going up by 1%? Because there's tremendous efficiencies that we're going to be able to find that don't impact frontline workers, that don't impact frontline services and programs. Well, for example, we talked about centralized procurement. Um Healthcare is 40% of our expenditures in this province. A significant amount of that budget is for procurement of hospital goods and and for goods um, within the healthcare system. There is tremendous savings by by um, centralizing that procurement, and we're working very closely with the Ministry of Health. Uh, together, we're going to um, to be able to find some of those efficiencies through procurement.
0: I'm sure you can appreciate there are critics to your decision, and they would point out that the 1.6 percent increase in spending over the next three years is actually an effective cut because it's below the rate of inflation.
1: No, I think it's real because of some of the savings that I talked about that we'll continue to make. Um, we're going to continue to invest in, in those frontline services, and, and, and frankly, uh, our critics, I think they would uh, they would call it a slash budget, uh, even if there were no, nothing on the pages, they'd all be blank because that's their instinct to do that. But I, I, the budget that uh, we've produced, and I think the budget that most have read and agree with, uh, is a very uh, fair um, budget to continue to provide the services that people care about most. Uh, in our healthcare and education and social services, I think uh, I think when they refer to Slash, I think they're re- referring to the guitar player.
0: Oh, we'll, we'll set the musical reference aside. Um, amalgamating 35 units to 10 regionals by 2021. Uh, let's sort of end this conversation by getting back to that political element to it. Um, by that point, we're entering another provincial election, uh, and. The Ford administration's base is is largely older Canadians um, who are going to feel the effects of that amalgamation. How thin of a tightrope walk does this have to be to ensure that they don't go to the polls feeling like they have poorer healthcare at polling time compared to when you guys first took power?
1: Well, it's important that we, we get on with the job of modernizing our healthcare system to make sure it's sustainable. As I pointed out before, the underinvestment by the previous government and the waste uh, put us on an unsustainable path. You know, we we uh, we made commitments in the in the in the campaign. We're following on on those camp uh, pe- campaign commitments. We're doing it in a way that I think is very competent. I think we've got the best minister of health and long term care this province could could have, and Minister Elliot. I think we've got a great team with Ruben Devlin leading some of the charge on the um, modernization. And we've got uh, the Deputy Minister Helen Angus. I think we've got the three of the top uh, people and a great Chief of Staff and Heather Watt. Uh, they're going to they're going to get this job done, and we're going to do it together uh, collaboratively. And Treasury Board is going to help where we can, and we'll let the people decide in um, in under four years. And hopefully uh, they'll they'll see that we've done a good job and rehire us. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Peter Bethlen-Falvey
0: is the President of the Treasury Board Secretariat. He joined us from the Institute's offices in downtown Toronto. It's Alberta's turn at the mic May 1st. The C.D. Howe will host a roundtable discussion in Calgary on the fiscal and economic policy priorities for the province with Robin Campbell, the president of the Coal Association of Canada and a former minister of finance in the government of Alberta, Eric Klein will be on the dais offering his perspective as a former finance minister from Saskatchewan. And Patricia Nelson, the Vice Chair of the In-Situ Oil Sands Alliance and former Alberta Finance Minister, will share what 15 years in the energy sector and 15 years in government has taught her about the tightrope walk that is public finance today. May 9th in Toronto, the future of public transportation in the greater Toronto area will be the topic, as the Institute hosts Jay Robinson, the Chair of the Toronto Transit Commission, and Phil Verster, the president and CEO of MetroLinks, And May 10th, Canada's ambassador to the United States, David McNaughton, will be the Institute's guest, discussing the Canada-U.S. partnership in 2019, with a focus on trade, investment, and security. You've been listening to the C.D. Howe Institute podcast with Michael Hainsworth. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. The C.D. Howe Institute is an independent, not-for-profit research institute whose mission is to raise living standards by fostering economically sound public policies. The Institute is widely considered to be Canada's most influential think tank and a trusted source of essential policy intelligence, distinguished by nonpartisan, evidence-based research and subject to definitive expert review. Visit cdhowe.org and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you.